Talking about politics is hard. Watching movies is easier. My name's Emma. And I'm Sana. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Action, a power in place podcast where we learn about women in politics by watching movies. So today we're watching Knock Down the House from 2019. It's on Netflix if you want to watch. And this documentary covers the campaign of four separate candidates in the 2018 midterm elections, Cori Bush, Amy Villela, Paula Jean, and AOC. It's made by Rachel Lears and Robin Blotnick. And um, this is your official spoiler warning, so you cannot blame us if we spoil this for you now. So first of all, let's talk about what we knew going into this documentary. First of all, I had heard of some of these women. Like, obviously, I think a lot of us have heard about AOC. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard about Cori Bush. I had not heard of Paula Jean or Amy Valella. And so it was interesting to see more about them. And then I also, like, something I've learned a lot about just in, like, political science classes is the power of primaries. Mm -hmm. And how because of like politics becoming a more nationalized set of issues political parties are more worried about primary challenges versus challenges in the general elections especially in areas like where AOC was that are so firmly blue or areas that are so firmly red I remember when these midterms happened it was like the first year I was in the US I grew up in Pakistan so I wasn't super familiar with American politics. This is the first election that I, I guess, not participated in. But like, I remember seeing AOC get elected. Like, we had a huge projector on in our campus center, and like everyone was there watching. So I remember that. So I remember Cory Bush and AOC, like you said, but I wasn't familiar with Paula Jean and Amy Valela. I thought that was like an interesting thing to like look back at this time three years from now yeah i definitely agree i remember experiencing it to an extent but like knowing what i know now and everything that's transpired it's kind of crazy to look back on some of these like really tiny things like primary elections are so overlooked and the power that these primaries have had on impacting like the last two three years Mm -hmm. is astounding like i remember at that time i wasn't voting age so I wasn't as engaged for the first election cycle that I was like becoming more politically aware. Like I was in high school at the time. And I remember I have family in New York. So I was in New York when AOC won her primary uh-huh. and we had like the local news station on. And I remember seeing that clip you see in the documentary too of like her realizing that she's won the primary. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. I have no idea who that is, but like good for her. Yeah. And no, now like everybody knows who she is. Her name is everywhere. Yeah because everyday Americans deserve to be represented by everyday Americans. So let's dive into the background. So it was created by Rachel Lears, who is a writer, producer, cinematographer, director, the whole shebang, and Robin Blotnick, who's also a writer, producer, editor. They worked together previously on a project that was kind of a big opener for them. Um, They're both based in New York, which I think is important to think about as you watch this, because a lot of the movie takes place in New York. And I wonder if, like, that is part of the reason why. I guess it's also because AOC was the only candidate that they focused on that won 
that year. Um, yeah, I think they're both like contributing factors for sure. But like, yeah, watching you can definitely see that. Okay, AOC is kind of like the star of this. But um, all four of these women were in a political action committee. They were elected into this political action committee called Brand New Congress, which took us like when we were talking before how they kind of mentioned Brand New Congress, but it was kind of overlooked. I feel like we could have definitely also gotten way more into Brand New Congress and who they are and like what they do. Like we kind of had to look up that they're bipartisan and that they are electing progressive congressional representatives they're finding all these like regular people and trying to get them into this political sphere and that's where all these four women started they started at brand new congress yeah that was really interesting for me because i had first of all never heard of brand new congress Mm -hmm, same and second of all had no idea that any of these women were nominated and their whole campaigns were like a part of this push by brand new congress Their mission, if you go on their website, is to elect regular working people who put people before party to make government more accountable and responsive. Um, And with that, since they're bipartisan, I think it would have been interesting to see a Republican candidate because they do Mm -hmm. actually um, assist and nominate Republican candidates. Yeah, which is interesting. I I was hoping to dive a bit more deep into that because I know that, like, in the documentary itself, it kind of not blurred I want to say but kind of highlighted the point that Democrat and Republican within these two parties you can have like corrupt people and it doesn't matter if that person's like Democrat or Republican I yeah I think it would have been interesting to see that in the brand new Congress kind of like mission statement they do talk about how like they want these candidates to be progressive and almost kind of align with Bernie Sanders-esque ideals so it would have been interesting to see a Republican candidate who does that and maybe a Republican candidate with those ideals who's able to re- reach a Republican audience or, like, voter base. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I think that would be a really interesting something to see because I think you don't often associate Republican and progressive. It's often Republican and conservative. And, I mean... It's founded because unfortunately a lot of Republicans do seem to be more conservative. So with this podcast, um, each episode we're going to alternate between a documentary and a fictional movie. And part of that is because we want to really look at the approach filmmakers take to portraying women. And I think that is something really important to look at. So with, with this documentary, there's a couple moments that really stuck out to me. Um, towards the very last third, we see AOC's campaign start to really pick up momentum Mm -hmm. and the documentary goes into like this big energetic moment as she's getting that momentum to all of a sudden it cuts to this quiet moment with Amy Valella talking about how you have to remember why like why you chose to run and I think that really highlights overall the doc focuses not just on like what happened and how it happened but like like why it happened Yeah. yeah It really, it shows the community um, and the background and all the work that goes in beyond Mm. just like the individual. It's not just like talking about, like it's not a biopic about these people. It's really about like the idea of this movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I liked about the documentary too, that it showed that community and like the background of these women who are just like, a lot of them are just regular women whose community and like, whose childhood and 
all this like growing up in middle class and working class America that's what informed their this future career path for them and also just like their values that they're bringing and also like the values around them like the people around them and we can see that while it's um, a lot of it is focused on them that there's like so many people that is making that made this happen whether it's brand new congress whether it's AOC's like brother electing her like there's so many pieces to this puzzle that now has become way bigger than we thought some of us have got to get through yeah. it's not about any and one of us individually it's about the, 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 the whole movement it's just the reality that in order for one of us to make it through a hundred of us have to try Now we want to talk about like all the different things we learned in this documentary and let's start with AOC and one of the main things since we are focusing about women in politics we wanted to talk about how these women present themselves. Yeah so I think one thing that was really powerful is the documentary opens up with AOC doing her makeup and we see her talk about how as a woman you have to think more about how you're presenting yourself in a campaign when like for men, she kind of describes there's two yeah. looks yeah. for a man, a man that's running for Congress. You know, there's a suit and a, a suit and a tie, mm-hmm. or there's you know a button down shirt with the sleeves yeah. rolled up, and that's your two looks. Yeah. While there have been quite a few women candidates like over the years, I feel like there isn't any like set way of like presenting yourselves. Like it's not like cut and dry. Like oh, you can either be the super like friendly like rolled up sleeves kind of dude or you can be like the student I am here to get business done kind of person like that's like almost like unexplored waters in some sense so it was interesting to see the documentary explore that for them yeah I really agree because I think there's so many more elements almost that you have to balance when it comes to presenting yourself as a woman everything's just over like your personal life your tone your outfit your makeup is it too much is it too little it feels just much more over analyzed and it's like scrutinized as well i know that people were like super not i don't know if critical is the right word but like her like red lipstick was like a big thing of conversation like it's just a red lipstick you know but like yeah just that one small decision was such a cause such a wave on like social media or something and then beyond just like how you physically present yourself like your outfit your makeup the way you hold yourself and how you speak and what you speak about so I think a really good example was when we first meet Paula Jean she is telling this story about how some man told her that she needed to not be so Mm -hmm. nice that she had to act like and i quote a bitch yeah and that not only be tough but also be like the people of west virginia the state that she was running in their bitch which she brushed off as like such terrible advice which it is Mm -hmm. that was like such an aggressive example of it that like you know it's there those comments like that Mm -hmm. But it's very jarring to hear it stated so plainly. Yeah, and it was such a... It was, like, representative, though, I feel, of, like, how... Not just, like, for politicians, but people want women to be both. They want them to be, like, really... Oh, go out there and, like, 
be like almost girl boss right like be a girl boss and anything but then they also want them to be like submissive and like don't be too much and i think we can see that with um paula jeans this comment where she, they were like and i quote be a bitch but be west virginia's bitch too he said and when you go to the people of west virginia and you tell them you're serving them he says you need to tell them that you're their bitch i said i'm oh, not a dog no that's horrible that's such horrible uh, I really liked how they showed that most of these women were working class and that experience informed their campaign. Um, like they showed AOC working as a waitress, Paula Jean and Corey are also work Corey Bush are also working class. They're people who've gone through like real life issues that have led to them being nominated for a brand new Congress and then running then for these elections. Yeah, and I think AOC had this moment where she talked about how people are wondering like why you why these working class women when so often you see more so career politicians who have like worked their way up to it and she goes why you no one else will no one else is going to challenge mm -hmm. these really established people people who want a career in politics aren't gonna take that big risk whereas these women who carry so deeply for those communities who aren't career politicians, like they're the perfect people to be taking that risk. But beyond that, it doesn't matter because no one else is taking that risk. Someone mm -hmm. has to. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting, like in AOC's kind of section, we could see that she's like this woman who grew up in New York City. She knows the people there, she knows how it is. And like her opponent, uh, Joe Crowley, he had been in power for like a while, but he was like this he was not connected to the community he was supposed to be representing he wasn't available during the, the um, debate i think it was either a debate or like a town hall but it was one of the town earlier hall. on ones that was wasn't on the tv it was just in the bronx and yeah. he had like a surrogate from the local council show mm -hmm. up on his behalf yeah he had someone show up on his behalf and like he lives in west virginia for some reason he's not even he doesn't even live in new york so I mean, he seeing, lives in Virginia, not West Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Pretty close, though. But it was still kind of like a feat for her to kind of overcome that this this man who doesn't even live in the Bronx or really have a connection to these communities, who's kind of just established because he's been like the status quo for so long. Um, it took a lot of power and hard work for them to kind of just get over that obstacle too, even though he's not super connected to the community. With Joe Crowley, not only did he have have the seat, mm -hmm. he was also super powerful in the Democratic Party. The He was, you know, the head of the party for Queens. And as part of that, it made it more of a challenge for AOC to get on the ballot. Um, she had a lot of support from former grassroots and civil rights leaders. And there's a scene where they advised her, like, you only need so many signatures to get on the ballot, but she needed way more than that amount because mm -hmm. they were going to scrutinize everything that they turned in and throw out signatures if they didn't match. So they ended up having exactly. to collect 10,000 signatures. And you got to see them put in all this groundwork mm -hmm. of them, you know, standing on street corners and crosswalks trying to get people to sign and then not only just sign but then having to go through all those signatures and verify them and then if they weren't right you know 
try and contact the person to get them to fix the signature mm-hmm. yeah it was a lot of work and just like yeah a lot of scrutiny like there were so many roadblocks for her to just get her name on the ballot um mm-hmm. well yeah speaking of joe crowley which was interesting considering how much power he has there was like a section where they talked about how he donated to amy Villela's opponent which was interesting to me that it just kind of his power kind of just like shockwaved all the way to uh, Las Vegas where she was running. Yeah, I agree. Nevada, sorry. Sh- Las Vegas is in Nevada. Oh, it is, right? Okay. And one of the the people who was working on Amy Valella's campaign was talking about that and how, you know, why would Joe Crowley donate all this money like two weeks before his primary election? And it's because, you know, if Amy Valella were to win... It would ha- give people more confidence to vote for these other smaller primary candidates, and it just shows how people in power are using their using their power not really just for their communities, but to help them stay in power. For sure, I feel like a lot of that energy goes into them making sure that they stay in power. Yeah, and I remember it reminded me also of speaking of this grassroots and civil and support from people who are in the civil rights movement. There was um, a reverend he spoke to some of the candidates and he said you have to be fearless because they're going to come for you and it was really interesting to see him say that to AOC so early on because looking back on this on that moment now after everything that's happened AOC is such like just her name has become like a hot button they come for her all the time from any angle like if you think about the 2020 elections and some of the ads you see, like, she came up in places that, like, outside of New York, just as a way mm-hmm. to say, like, oh, I'm against these and these ideas, so let me, like, say something about AOC, yeah. and that will reflect that. She kind of became, like, that poster child of, like, well, this Democratic candidate, like, socialist, whatever, who scares us. And, like, we're trying to go... Like, I know Ted Cruz had, like, a whole thing against her. Like, on social media, they even talk... Like, they mentioned it very briefly in the documentary, like, even back in 2016. And now it's still going on. Yeah, I even see that, like, with Amy Vivella. Mm-hmm. Within the documentary, just when she was running for the primary, she talked about how people would call her a communist, a socialist, a Marxist. And she's like, I don't even know what half of these yeah. words mean. They said that um, she looked like she was Russian, but that she should go back to Mexico. Hmm. I don't think a lot of these people like ran thinking that, oh, we're going to be like a Democratic candidate who's going to have like these Democratic views. Like they have their views that, again, like I said, was informed by like their lived experience, right? Like growing up working class, being a woman, being uh, a mother, being a nurse, all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of happens that this, connection to their community and like their values and whatever have been made to become this kind of like scary oh socialist marxist kind of this rhetoric's being pushed right on them yeah that they're gonna like come in and destroy what the party has established and i think we also see another perspective of that of people like having power and not just the politicians but the communities Mm-hmm. We saw this with both um, AOC and with Cory Bush, that they'd go out and talk to people about how they were running and they're running against these very powerful people in Congress and people would react and be like, 
but if you win, we're going to lose the power that that person has. That power is supposed to help us. Yeah, there were definitely, like, a bit, there was a fear of having newcomers in the primary for both AOC and uh, Cory Bush, I feel like. Um, I think it's just, it, it is because it's, like, the established, like, power thing that, oh, we've known, like, these people for so long. Like, for Cory Bush, it was the Clay family in her kind of district who had been in power since 1969, like, uh, the same few people from the Clay family. And that transition uh, of power um, was, like, something that she was talking to her community members about. And they were, like, a bit scared that she's running against this person. Not because they, I feel like, didn't agree with what she had to say, but just because of giving up that power um, and having yeah. this fully new person come in and, I guess, take over. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the point that they both made is, yeah, these people are more established in politics and more established in Congress. But like, what are they doing with that? Are they helping us with that? Are they helping the community with that? Are they actually using that to our benefit? Mm -hmm. And it seemed to be that the answer was no. Mm -hmm. Speaking about Cori Bush, um, I loved learning more about her. She unfortunately didn't win that year, but she did end up winning the next election. So that was really cool to see. One thing that I did want to talk about her, she mentioned how Again, like AOC, like Paula Jean, like Amy, she was also just somebody who was kind of nominated and kind of thrust into this position. And she was like a nurse and pastor and she was like an activist, right? Um, And when the shooting in Ferguson happened back in 2014, when Michael Brown was killed uh, by the police, she was there on the front lines as a nurse helping people during protests and that's when she saw such a disconnect in her community and like the people in power yeah and i think it's a really interesting point that she started out not as an activist but as a nurse she went out there to be a medic to help people Mm -hmm. and then realized like activism was the way to help people like what was happening was so deeply wrong Mm -hmm. she said she was like out there not only to help people but she was wanting to see justice happen and that's Mm -hmm. not what she saw I felt like as a woman of color myself we didn't really get into this in the documentary but I do feel like a lot of activism tends to be thrust on women of color and I do wonder whether or not Cori Bush felt that in any way where just being a woman of color kind of puts a target on your back almost like like a lot of people will go to women of color hoping that they do like this free emotional labor of like explaining like how they can do better not the woman of color but like how the person coming to the woman of color can do better no i feel like that makes sense because i think a lot of times white people have this advantage of not necessarily having to interact or face those issues in their daily lives they don't have to think about it they don't have they can choose to help those issues but it's not something that they have to do whereas people of color are faced with that every day i'm a registered nurse i'm an ordained pastor and i'm a mother of two teenagers i was not trying to become an activist didn't set out to do that this is the district where mike brown was murdered i only live six minutes from ferguson 
And talking about how these women know their communities the best representing their communities, I think Paula Jean Swearington is a really good example of that. Paula Jean was running in West Virginia for Senate in the primary against Joe Manchin. Um, she grew up there. She was the descendant of a long line of coal miners, including her father. And there was one scene that like really struck out to me where she's driving around her community and she points out, she's like, oh, this is where I raised, this is the house where I raised my kids. And she's pointing out the neighbor's houses of all the people who lived on her street who had cancer. You know, this woman had cancer. That person's kid had a rare form of cancer. That person had cancer. And it's something that we hear about. Like I took environmental science in high school. So it's something we learn about, you know, the effects of some of the residue that occurs from mining. But to see it in that way. It was really up close and personal. Like that was very impactful. Like she knew like everyone in those houses, she knew what they're going through. Like that again, connection to her community, which I think was really, which what I loved about this documentary that it showed that connection that these elected officials have to their community. And that's what we need, I think is elected officials who understand the communities that we are growing like we live in or people who have lived in these communities who know the people there um who know the struggles the even the wins like everything about these people and know how to represent them like they're representatives they know they need to know who they're representing and i think paula jean was definitely someone who knew who she was representing she was very clear on that um yeah, one of the quotes that I really liked from her section was that um, she said that we go to war if another country came up and blew up a mountain in our communities, which is true. That would happen, but then we have all these corporate-backed, like, Joe Mansions who get funding from these coal mining companies. And, like, obviously, it's not a secret that we can see that a lot of these elected officials, like, money is, like, a big um fuel for how they represent their communities what they do for their communities and we can see that in paula jean's kind of like section against her run against joe mansion yeah i think it was really interesting to see like that shot of the mountain just blown away one of her family members was talking about how oh it used to be way up high before and now it's like fully almost ground level yeah, I just got back from a trip to Pennsylvania and my family drove the whole way. So we drove through West Virginia and seeing mountains like that, like where I live, like there's some mountains, but not the way that there's mountains in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and up and down the East Coast, particularly in West Virginia. And it's like there aren't words for that landscape. It's absolutely gorgeous. And to imagine it just blown to like for flat nothingness yeah. is wild. So Paula Jean, she did not win her primary and we see this moment after she and the people around her have realized she's lost and someone suggests you know you could run as an independent because they believe that she you know had the backing had the momentum to do that and she uh, we don't see this in documentary but eventually she chooses not to do that and I think that's a really interesting thing with the way our elections are set up people there's a taboo around running as an independent particularly if that would be a challenge to the Democratic candidate, that it would eventually 
that it would lead to a Republican instead getting elected, which is just, I think, a result of how our elections are set up, which is slowly changing. You know, we see in like Maine and other and I believe in one area in Nebraska and slowly in more places. I think the New York mayor's race did this not the most successfully, but we see ranked choice voting becoming bigger, which I think will have an impact on you know how many independents we see running. But she just struck me so much with the way she spoke, the passion. She's had so much care for her community and she was going to fight like hell for it. I definitely saw that too from her. She was very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like base level human values, you know, we want a safe community. We want healthcare, we want a roof over our heads, we want clean air to breathe. I don't think that should be a Democrat versus Republican issue, unfortunately. And I honestly think it's the way like you present your argument is what puts you in sometimes in those categories. I feel like Paula Jean's like values were just that she wants like her communities to have like clean air to breathe in that corporation should not be deciding how we live our lives yeah and i think one moment that really shone through in that ideal well every moment she was there showed that ideal but um the last time we see her i believe it's the last time it's when she loses and joe manchin calls her to like you know say like you ran a good race um you know just the polite little you know you've lost, I won, but you know, you did well, da 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 da. Um, and he says, you know, he'd like to talk with her sometime about, you know, some of the issues that she's been advocating for. And she just responds like so strongly to someone who has never been involved in politics, to Joe Manchin, someone who right now has so much power in Congress. She goes, yeah, because people are dying, which like, you know, there's nothing else to say after that. Like, she said, she said what needed to be said, and she said it in the words... Cut and dry. Yeah. No more needs to be said on that. Yes, you need to be, like, that directness, I think, like, let's get to the point, this is what's happening, we have to fix it. I think mm-hmm. that was really, that's a good quality about her that I really liked, and that was showcased in this. I have our schedule, and we can spend some time together, I'd love to do that. Okay, yeah, I would like to see some changes in this state center to me. Some people are dying. And then last but not least, you know, there was Amy Valella, who, for me, the first thing that stuck out to me about her was how much she gave up just to run in comparison to, you know, the people who are already in power, mm-hmm. um, who are running for re-election, who don't really expect to fight in these primaries, who are just running to maintain the power they have or to gain power in Congress. Um, we see this with like Joe Crowley a little bit yep. in AOC, where AOC kind of goes through one of his um, pamphlets that he had put out throughout the district that so much of it talked about fighting Donald Trump yeah, and not as much of it really talked about the local community meanwhile amy vavella like she turned down a well-paying job she went into debt to run this campaign just so that she could have the opportunity to do right by her community Mm -hmm. 
which I think just says so much about her. I feel like a lot of people are jaded about politics, not politicians. And to see someone sacrifice more than anyone has ever like asked to do like no one's asking anyone to go into debt to run to represent their community but she did it anyways because she believed so strongly again talking about why she did this we know that it was a lot for all of these women it was very personal reasons and for her unfortunately it was a very personal tragedy of her child dying because of um lack of affordable health care which i think mirrored this really big issue that we have in American society that healthcare is not affordable and I think she really understands that and that was like a driving force for her and seeing someone openly just the way Paula Jean was very direct how she was very direct about that talk about that was very refreshing it's not just our family it's 30,000 families a year, 30,000 of us a year that are losing loved ones because they don't have insurance. No one in this great country should be dying because they don't understand the intricate system of insurance. I think because it's like they're completely starting from scratch right when we're talking about like the whole power structure of it and like the power struggle almost that they have she's lost like so much like her house and like so much money to just get a little bit of that power back to the community so they can actually do something with it yeah and I think it really reflects particularly Amy Valella's section but all of it overall that politics has become a money game Uh, I'm from Georgia. There have been a lot of major political races in Georgia lately. Um, John Ossoff. John Ossoff's name has been repeated in my ear so many times, it's a miracle I managed to forget it. (laughs) Because I live next door to the 6th District Mm -hmm. of Georgia, and that's where he originally ran for the House. And because I lived so close to that district, I would get so many ads, like YouTube, TV, everywhere I think it was my freshman year of high school and like those ads are still ingrained in my mind mm-hmm. and then one of the big things of that campaign that we we're talking about is how much money that was donated to his campaign I don't know the number off the top of my head I'm gonna look it up but he got a lot of money for that campaign mm-hmm. um but he lost yeah it is a, it is interesting because I feel like, yeah, I feel like it is a money game. And I feel like when I'm thinking of like the 2020 election uh, in the primaries, um, when they had like the Democratic candidates like debating each other that time, Michael Bloomberg, his ads were everywhere for me. Yes. Oh my god, it was even like in the Super Bowl. He had an ad in the Super Bowl. I would see his ads all the time on YouTube and I had like no idea who he was. He's like this big corporate, like he owns like Bloomberg, um um I think the news news or media, yeah, whatever, whatever the, the official name for it is, but it's a news outlet. Seeing those ads, like I was convinced that oh, he seems like a pretty cool person, but obviously learning more about it, it wasn't that case, but yeah, I feel like that money and advertising 
is so important for and like yeah the, he I think like it was almost like a meme at some point that Bloomberg spent so much money on advertising yeah and he could do that because he was a billionaire yeah but with John Ossoff I just found the number um, what was really interesting is he broke national fundraising records for a oh. US House candidate um, with a total of over 23 million dollars raised for just for an election for U.S. House in Georgia. I think it's been really interesting going forward to see the effects of and also how effective national fundraising is on House and more local races. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like seeing like John Ossoff, Michael Bloomberg, seeing all this money that either they're putting in or that they're getting and that that's going into their campaign and advertising and everything. And then seeing Amy Valella, who had to like, who had to sell her house, or like, who's in debt, just to run. Yeah, and I think with that, there's a point that was made by um, a member of Amy Valella's staff that I think holds true that a lot of people were judging her campaign and saying, "Oh, like they're nowhere on track," but the track has changed ever since Donald Trump was elected. Like, no one originally thought he was going to win, and then he did. So all these you know, typical milestones that people are expecting you to hit and reach within a campaign. Like there's that status quo is kind of gone. And I think we see that with, you know, she unfortunately lost, but we do see in some places, smaller campaigns winning. I think like AOC, we saw was AOC won. But we also see campaigns with tons of money, you know, John Ossoff's campaign for house with 23 million dollars that also lost mm-hmm. i while i do think like yeah money is super important you can do like a million ads but i do think like the ads that you do put out or like the pamphlets like when we we're talking about aoc versus uh joe crowley's those pamphlets that they had she's talking about she was pointing out the different things about how his are kind of cold they're kind of just like talking about donald trump they have like this huge thing of his face it doesn't even have his name on it and for her like hers was very refined it has her face she's smiling like all those different details that you have the money but you need to know how to use that money and I think AOC's campaign knew even though they didn't have a lot I don't think they had a lot of money but the money they did have like they knew how to use it but that scene stuck out to me as well um the way she went through and kind of ripped apart his pamphlet Alex, you're being too harsh. You're being way too harsh. Give him a chance. Okay, let's give him a chance. Let's open it up. Okay, we got this big, beautiful spread here. Where's the primary date? Democrat Joe Crowley is leading the fight against Donald Trump. There is nothing about the path forward here. Trump three times, commitments zero time. So let's go into final thoughts rating what does this movie deserve what did you love what did you hate yeah tell me okay so we have no rating system it's completely arbitrary right but i do i did really like it i love the focus on like the individual like the actual people their backgrounds how and the communities that they're representing i loved all of that and also you could see like like it was a feat it was like a mountain that had to climb right defeating Uh, like taking over the power from 
these super established status quo already like candidates who've been there for years like the clay family who'd been there since the 60s i found all that super super engaging um i did i do wish we got to learn more about like brand new congress kind of like the nitty-gritty of it all like you know more about the whole corporate side like but it was about these women so i'm fine with that so if i was gonna give it a rating like if it was just like rotten tomatoes i'd give it like an 85 random number i came up with out of 10 an 8 out of 10 sure all right an 8 out of 10 hmm. i'm gonna agree like i'm also gonna agree with you know, this movie won, like, Sundance Awards. It's a well-done, good documentary. I definitely mm-hmm. recommend watching it. Even, like, we've spent the last God knows how long talking about mm-hmm. it. It is a good watch. It's um, a good I watch. definitely left watching it, you know, sitting in my living room on Netflix, feeling like I could run for Congress. Like, it's yeah. very inspiring. Yeah. I shed a couple tears. I'm not going to lie. Oh, for sure. Um, I things there are things I wish I saw more of, which I've mentioned. I wish I saw more of Paula Jean. Mm-hmm. I wish I saw more of Cory Bush. A lot of their stories though aligned a lot, like over. They did align, and I think it would have been difficult to make them all align if they each went to the same level of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved seeing the groundwork of a campaign because I think that's something that like people aren't really exposed to as much. Like you see the side of it that people want you to see. You see the advertisements, Mm -hmm. but you don't see all the work it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. I would have really liked to see a bit more of like, you know, all the campaign, like managers and like all the people, like, I don't know. I know they had points where they were talking to them, but a bit more of that would have been cool too. I agree. That would have been cool. We saw like bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. I think we saw, as far as staff goes, I think we saw the most from... Of course, AOC, and then also Amy Valella. I think we yeah. saw the most from them. We saw a lot from them, yeah. And then one moment that, like, stuck out to me and just irked me, and it was very, very small, and I don't actually think it meant anything. But there's that moment we talked about where um, Paula Jean has that moment where she talks about how someone told her, you know, to be a bitch. Um and it really talks about how women are critiqued and this and that. And then we go to her prepping to talk on stage. And this yeah. man reminds her to smile. And in that moment, it made sense to say that to her. You know, put on a smile and just walk out there and you got it. Mm-hmm. But it it did like take a moment where I was like, hmm. We're talking about men critiquing women. And mm-hmm. then we're going to tell her to smile. Yeah, I guess it was kind of like a... I guess he was like her, like some sort of manager that was like helping her like go up, like how to present herself on stage. Yeah, I think it was, he had like a event volunteer shirt on and it definitely was like helpful, but also for a moment, I kind of like had a little laugh at that. Yeah, for sure. Because it is like a thing of like, we just heard about how she was like, oh, I have to be a bitch. Like I have, but then I have to be West Virginia's bitch and like also have to be super smiley, but then I have to talk about the serious topic. Like all these different layers she has to keep taking out like all these different like masks almost that she has to put on or like yeah there's a lot that she needs to do to be considered like a candidate who yeah i don't know like that these community like everyone can um like connect to 
but not yeah. like be super overbearing and scary yeah i think that overall sums up that element of a campaign that like it is a performance yeah for you sure. everyone is watching and they want to see how you perform and I think this documentary did a really good job of breaking down that wall and showing you all the stuff behind it, getting through those facades that sometimes get put on. Cause you know, you can't be running at 110% all the time. Yeah. Like it might not be that you're trying to be fake. It's just that, you know, it's hard work. Yeah. That is like a good point that it kind of showed like those quiet moments, like even the one when uh, AOC, um, like one and she's in the bar and like you know there's like people cheering and then there's like a lull and then we have Paula Jean uh who didn't win just like those quiet moments seeing those I think it really humanized these people who should like they're humans politicians who are supposed to be like us and represent us right and we saw that with them yeah those quiet moments were some of my favorites so I think I'm gonna give Knocked down the house, four and a half out of five stars on my uh, my rating system. Okay. Um, I like how we have completely three different rating systems going on. You have the five, I have the 10, and then the 100%. So, like, mm-hmm. these are completely arbitrary. Yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes score, uh, my Rotten Tomatoes score, I think it's going to be a 95, a ni- 97. Okay. Okay. I mean, it was very good, definitely. Yeah. I also, like, don't use Rotten Tomatoes, so... I kind of don't know what... I Like, I just kind of have a feeling, and I'm like, okay, I'm giving this an 85. Like, I kind of don't know what that... No, I feel that. I understand are. that. Because I'm always, like, I don't have favorite things. And, like, to me, I think in extremes. Like, a 1 on a 1 scale is very, very low. A 10 on a 10 scale is very, very high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I guess we've talked about everything we were we wanted to with Knock Down the House. It was a great documentary. If you want to watch it, stream it. It's on Netflix. Um, my name is Sana and I'm Emma. And this podcast is brought to you by Power in Place. Um, you can follow Power in Place on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn at Power in Place, or you can visit our website powerinplaceproject.com. To learn more about the project, we try to empower women to get more involved in politics and we try to uplift women who are already on in politics. Yeah, it's a wonderful organization. We are both summer interns for them, which is how we are able to bring this podcast to you. Our next episode, we are going to do a fictional movie. We are doing The Election with Reese Witherspoon. Um, You can watch it on Netflix. You want to go ahead and watch that so that you can be ready to talk about it with us next time. So thank you for listening. Okay, bye. Bye.